Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the totalitarian cancel culture. John Guandolo joins me in studio, founder of Understanding the Threat, the Mecca of Chicago, and Campus Islamic Indoctrination Trumped. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On today's First Five, I want to tell you the shortest story about the power of leftists in this country. I was thinking of a great name for like the enforcers of silence or the silencers. These are organizations that simply work, they strive diligently to shut down the American political conversation, especially anyone trying to talk about issues that the left does not want the American public to understand. The latest example is actually rather amazing because it involves Mar-a-Lago, the beautiful property, I haven't been there, but I'd like to someday, beautiful property owned by President Trump, not run by him right now. In Mar-a-Lago, there was a conference scheduled in November of this year. It was to involve Brigitte Gabriel, and she's the founder of Act for America, and also was to feature Michelle Malkin, who has a new book coming out, it is out, talking about the border, the Open Borders Inc. is, is the title of the book. By the way, she'll be on the show tomorrow, tomorrow Michelle Malkin, but the two of them are going to speak in November at this conference at Mar-a-Lago. The Southern Poverty Law Center, which is has such the, the prettiest, cutest, quaintest sounding name, is absolutely the weapon of the American left to shut down political conversation, to silence anyone who dares say anything in opposition to what the left stands for, along with the ADL, the, um, lost our, what it stands for, anyway, that organization, ADL, the, um, Anti-Defamation League. Anti-Defamation League, thank you very much, my friend sitting here, I couldn't think of the name. Anyway, the point is, those two groups actually arm-twisted the Southern Poverty Law Center to cancel a major event. This wasn't like a little meeting in a conference room that they could just move across town in some other conference room. It was actually a major event. It was a fundraiser of the year for ACT. They charged a high amount of money to show up, to have tickets to come to this conference. The entire point of the conference was for ACT and Brigitte Gabriel to talk about where we are in America in terms of standing up against Islamization in America, exposing a threat of Islamization in America, and Tribe Michelle Malkin talked not just about the danger of our open borders, but who's funding that effort? Who is behind the scenes trying to pressure and succeeding in pressuring Congress, many elected officials to refuse to secure the border? So huge topics, huge topics the American left does not want to have the American people understand. So the consequence, at least this time, was the silencers won Mar-a-Lago canceled their conference. And if you think that is just a, well, you know, one-time thing, this happens over and over and over in this country. People trying to speak up about serious problems facing America. People trying to talk about the danger of Islamization in this country. The, the forces of money behind uh, our border battles. These are issues the left does not want the American public to understand. So they shut down venues. They threaten private industries. And just stop and think about it. Southern, this Southern probably law center succeeded in getting Mar-a-Lago 
a, an enormous, enormous business venture, a successful venture, an established organization, what in the world could they have threatened that would make Mar-a-Lago pull back and say, never mind, sorry, Brigitte Gabriel, you're out of luck, Act for America's out of luck, Michelle Malkin, you're out of luck. They, the, whoever makes decisions for Mar-a-Lago decided it was easier to surrender to the silencers than to stand up for free speech in America. We'll talk about that more, but for now, that, my friends, is today's first five. As I mentioned in the start, we have a guest joining us. In fact, he's in studio. In fact, he was giving me a little cue there because I couldn't think <laughs> what ADL stood for. But John Guandolo is in studio, and I love having him here. He's been here before. I want to remind our listeners briefly who John Guandolo is. Uh, he's the founder of a group called Understanding the Threat. He is also a U.S. Naval Academy graduate. Uh, he served as an infantry reconnaissance officer in the United States Marines. He's a combat veteran. He served as a special agent in the FBI from 1996 to 2008, was recruited out of the FBI by the Department of Defense to conduct strategic analysis of the Islamic threat in America. He's president and founder, as I said, of Understanding the Threat. John, great to have you. Great to be back here. Thanks for having me again, Debbie. So quickly, if you would, just tell our listeners what Understanding the Threat is all about before we dive into our big story for today. What's it all about? So uh, Understanding the Threat is uh, the only organization in America that actually gives tools to police, citizens, elected officials, community leaders at the local, state, federal level to not only identify uh, jihadi networks in their local area, but uh, tools also to dismantle those networks and go after them, whether you're a citizen, police officer, uh, a mayor, city council member, school board official, et cetera. Okay, so you mentioned, I had this question for later in the interview, but since you used the term, what do you mean by jihadi networks? So anytime I use terms that deal with Islam, uh, I use the definitions that Islam teaches those words mean. So in Islam, a jihadi is somebody who wages jihad, which in Islamic law is defined as warfare against non-Muslims to establish Islam. Okay, so the network would be anyone who's part of an organization doing that, right? Yeah, any, okay. any Muslim individual who's Sharia adherent, who's working to establish an Islamic state under Sharia, that's what a jihadi is. Okay, so not every Muslim in America, you're not saying every Muslim in America is a jihadi, right? No, I mean, uh, what, uh, what Islam, Islam's purpose, according to Islam, is to establish Allah's divine law of Sharia on the earth. But there are people who self-identify as Muslim who, for whatever reason, don't want to do that, don't want to participate. So no, Sharia is the, the defining line, certainly legally here in the United States. Okay, so I want to just tell our listeners, I watched a film this morning, uh, which I, John had mentioned a while ago, I think it came out in July of this year? July, uh, I think, yeah. yeah. Then. Okay, and it's called The um, Continuum of Jihad. If nothing else you do after this show, I want you to go to our website, americacommittee.org, under shows, drop down, list of links, will take you right to that video, The Continuum of Jihad. And the reason is this, up until recently, Many Americans did not realize that what we're experiencing in this country and watching happen in Western Europe and all over the world is actually a continuation of the teachings of Islam from the time of its founding, from the conduct of its founder, Muhammad, 
And from the time of the founding of Islam till today, this jihad that John Gwendola was just mentioning to us has been going on in at sometimes in very extreme forms, very, very forward, very pushing, uh, very growing of the uh, jihadi uh, of the establishment of Islam. And then sometimes put not slowing down because the teachings change and slowing down because they got pushed back a little bit. But one thing that I think will just help you realize how serious this issue is, there is a link, or there's a portion that's in this film. I want to ask Matt, the wonderful producer, to have it ready to play. This is a short clip of a, it's about a three or four minute portion of this continuum of jihad film that I'm urging you to watch. It's a very short portion in there, and I've even shortened it down more to play a short clip to show you in a visual map, just to watch what Muhammad's followers did in terms of engaging in aggressive conquest Islam, forcing Islam on non-Muslims around the world, around their, their sphere of influence, what they did just in the 400 plus years after his founding. Is that right? Yeah, all, the, all the way till the 1920s, yes. Well, all the way till if you today. watch the whole thing, right. Yeah, but I wanted to ha ask Matt if he can just play this shortened version with sound if we can. So there's world founded by Islam, and here they go. you didn't know what I was showing you, the green area. So Islam, founded by Muhammad, and the whole Mecca Medina area, his followers, after Muhammad died, spread Islam by brutal, grotesque force onto non-Muslims all over that part of the world. These were not Muslims going like Christian evangelicals might and say, hey, let me share the Bible with you and tell you about Jesus and salvation and redemption and forgiveness. These are people forcing conversion to Islam under threat of death. That was what the history of Islam was. So now getting back to you, I want to ask you one other kind of basic question before I get into what I really want to talk about your trial. But so the idea of jihad you're just talking about is engaging in war to essentially force Islam on others. You have a fancy way of saying it, but it's to force Islam on others. But in addition to violent jihad, which is what much of uh, Islamic history is, there's another way in which Islam is spread. And they use the term cultural or civilizational jihad. Can you explain that? Sure. So again, for your audience, the purpose of Islam, according to Islam, which they teach to children and at the highest schools of Islamic jurisprudence, the purpose of Islam is to make Allah's divine law the law of the land everywhere. The vehicle to do that is called jihad, which is warfare. But within that warfare, it's everything. It's information operations, it's political warfare, it's military warfare, it's propaganda. Uh, and deception is absolute uh, a core of Islamic teaching because it's better to deceive those who are non-Muslim uh, in order to make Allah's divine law, the law of the land, than to allow Allah's law of the not to be the law of the land. And so this civilization jihad uh, is like a massive counterintelligence operation. Yeah. That's what it is. It's 
showing up dressed nicely, acting nicely to a pastor, a congressman, a mayor, a police chief, whoever it is, and saying, I'm here to help. And this is what I'd like to do to help because we all want the same thing, but they don't want the same thing. If you actually look at who they are and what they say when they're not talking to non-Muslims, when it's Muslims talking to Muslims, they say very clearly they want an Islamic state under Sharia because that's what Islam is. And uh, that's really the essence of civilization jihad. Actually, I meant to one other introductory point, which relates back to the beginning of your film. You talked about Muhammad as the, everyone knows he's a prophet, the founder of Islam, or they call him a prophet and the founder of Islam. But part of what inspires modern day Muslims and has since its founding of Islam is how Muhammad lived his life and what devout Muslims are taught about following Muhammad's life. So can you talk a little bit about how Muhammad, once he had this revelation and he discovered Islam, created Islam, discovered Islam, how he lived his life in terms of spreading it, what he did, and then the teachings that say you gotta do what he says. Right, so in the Quran numerous times, uh, it says that Muhammad is the perfect example. Uh, one of the quotes is exactly that he's an exalted standard of conduct for all Muslims for all times. And so since uh, his death in 632 AD, you've seen Muslims simply continue that example. And I think for people, you know, people ask, should I read the Quran? Should I read the Hadith? Should I read the Tafsir and all this stuff? And I just say, no. If you just read the biography of Muhammad and you understand that the Quran, which to in Islam means God said, Muhammad's the perfect example. And you see that in the authoritative biography, the life of the prophet Muhammad. By whom? Uh, well, there are different translations, but okay. this is, was written in the eighth century. Okay. So we don't have a, the current edition is not the complete, but it's as complete as historically we can have it. And in the Islamic world, it's the, the, uh, the life of the prophet Muhammad is the singular translation or the singular authoritative biography of Muhammad. It's not the only one, but it's the most authoritative. And if you just look at the table of contents, and what do you've got? You've got battles, raids, killing certain people, uh, the, the beheading of 900 Jews after the Battle of Trench, which Muhammad himself takes part in, uh, Muhammad participating in, in standing next to a person who he orders to be tortured, uh, allowing the taking of sex slaves, uh, commanding Muslims, saying, I, Muhammad, have been commanded by Allah to wage war against the non-Muslims until they uh, testify there's no God but Allah. So that's the, that's the example, and that's all they've been doing. So my, to your other question about are all Muslims jihadis, listen, that's what Muslims are required to do. Muslims that don't do that do not constitute a different version of Islam, and that's the key. We're going to get to that later. There was a great piece on your website that was about a conference that happened in Minnesota on September 10th this year uh there was at university of minnesota and there were your someone on your site i don't know if you wrote it but a piece about these people presenting that we are here to essentially propose or lay out for you the peaceful form of islam but we'll get to that a little later so back to so muhammad just to be really be clear our listeners got that he personally engaged in this slaughter of jews at the battle of trench somewhere between five and nine hundred jews slaughtered by them at his hand or at his direction and just to get the idea, that's known to pretty much every Muslim in the world. That's right. And he's the perfect man whose example should be followed. That's right. Okay, 
We'll come back to that later. So now, for fast forwarding to you, so you have understanding the threat, you're trying to raise awareness about the actual teachings of Islam. One thing I learned from you, I have to say, John, I don't know when it was, years ago, but you always talk about the idea, instead of going to modern critics of Islam, and which then the Islamic community can say, well, that's not what we teach, that's just some critic, why listen to him? You frequently go back to what the Quran says, what the Hadith say, what the actual writings and the actual history of Islam is. It takes away the argument that you're misrepresenting, and I do try to do that, can't always get there. You, you have an amazing memory for so much that detail, but um, in any case, you, you have UTT, understanding the threat, you're working to raise awareness in America of what Islamic doctrine is, so you're up in Minnesota, which is the home of thousands of Somalian Islamic refugees in this country. And I don't know what the number is right now. Is it like 25,000, do you know? How oh, no, it's probably closer to 80,000 or more. Okay. In, Some estimates are over 100,000, right? In Minnesota. And specifically in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Okay, so you have a very large Islamic Somalian community there. So I want to get around to, you were involved in a trial just a few months ago, or last month actually, right. here in Texas involving an incident that really had its genesis in 2016 when you were up in the Minnesota area trying to do the UTT job of spreading about the danger of radical Islam. So can you just tell basically, you ran across a guy there who was then the sheriff, Stanick. Can you talk about that, how you guys got started connecting in 2016? Yeah, so let, let me start. So uh, our team, we had been to, uh, and I had been to Minnesota a number of times uh, at the behest of people up there to come up. I had talked to numerous citizens I'd actually uh, gone into some of the communities where the jihadis lived and looked at some of the, actually spoke with uh, uh, some of the police officers, looked at police reports that were made public after incidences, things like that. And so we had really done our homework. So by the time we got there um, in the fall of 2016, before the election, literally just a, uh, two weeks before the presidential election. Oh, okay. And we uh, spent an entire week there I started up near the Canadian border and met with, had meetings during the day and then would give presentations at night. And in one case, you know, we had over 200 citizens at one of the presentations. And then the next day, drive, you know, south a couple hours and have more meetings, do another presentation, sometimes meet with police chiefs, sheriffs, uh, mayors, then would come down, you know, all mm -hmm. the way, working our way towards Minnesota while uh, two of my other colleagues, were doing the same thing, but they had gone kind of uh, in a different direction and doing different areas, doing the same thing. And then at the end of the week, we met back in M Minneapolis and had a had another event. And then what we did was we sat down and compared notes, plus all of the re research and work we had done prior to ever coming there, because I had spoken in Minnesota numerous times prior to this. And then I wrote an article. And it's called, uh, you know, in Minneapolis, the Twin Cities are, are lost. In this war, the Twin Cities are lost. And it literally lays out that from at the time, in 2016, October, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the mayor of Minneapolis, the assistant uh, or the U.S. attorney, Andy Luger, the, the sheriff, Rich Stanek, all of them were working with easily identifiable Muslim Brotherhood, jihadi, terrorist groups uh, like Hamas doing business as the Council on American Islamic Relations, Muslim American Society and others uh, there in Minneapolis. And we're not only working with them, we're presenting themselves at public events 
openly praising these organizations that the Department of Justice has identified as Muslim Brotherhood organizations in many cases. And in the case of CARE, a Hamas organization, that's uh, Hamas being a foreign terrorist organization. So then we published the article and that's the genesis for then what happened uh, about, you know, eight months later in, in July or, uh, yeah, that's about right, July of 2017 when I actually met the sheriff at the National Sheriff's Conference. I want to jump in and say, again, if you go to our website, org homepage under shows, go down, list of links. The article John's mentioning there, it's called In This War, Minnesota's Twin Cities Are Lost, full of information. And, and so I want to I do two clarifying points before we get to the next thing. So you mentioned the Muslim Brotherhood. Many people in America, many Muslims in America claim it's just an organization to build brotherly love or something. So quickly, the genesis of Muslim Brotherhood, like are, are they really, is it fair to tie them to terrorism? Is it fair to tie them to wrongdoing? Uh, yeah, very fair. <laughs> so let's first start with uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is the same objective as ISIS, the Islamic State and Al Qaeda. So let's start there. Uh, Hamas, a foreign designated terrorist organization is an inherent part of the International Muslim Brotherhood. That's an inherent part. The Muslim Brotherhood leadership teaches uh, that you must establish the law's law on the land and that you must fight the enemies and tyrants of, of Islam to establish an Islamic state. Uh, and their history is one where senior Muslim Brotherhood leaders have worked with Al Qaeda. You've got Muslim Brotherhood in the United States working directly with people working against the United States. You've got uh, documents that come from inside CARES headquarters saying they want to work with Osama bin Laden. So yes, the Muslim Brotherhood is a threat to the United States. And CARE, you mentioned CARE, another organization that really tries to hold itself out as we're here to build bridges, we're the good guys. CARE, you, you use the expression, and I've used it too, CARE is Hamas, but very quickly where CARE came from, why so you say that? CARE was created in 1994 as a part of the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine Committee, which is Hamas in the United States. The other three organizations, the Islamic Association of Palestine, U.S. government said that's Hamas, the Holy Land Foundation, Hamas, the United Association for Studies and Research, Hamas, and then there's CARE. And the only difference is CARE is the only one that hasn't been identified by the government and indicted, which is outrageous in and of itself because it's so all So CARE was not an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy they, Land? They were not only an unindicted co-conspirator right. in the Holy Land Foundation. Right. I think more importantly, the Department of Justice identified them as part of the Muslim Brotherhood's Palestine Committee, which is Hamas. Which is Hamas. So those organizations in place, so you're speaking, when you wrote this piece, these people in Minnesota, you mentioned very high level elected officials working with these organizations, you are identifying because you know the history that they are jihadists in some connection, but they're working with them without knowing that. Isn't that right? I mean, they think that they are somehow doing good, doing the best thing you can do in America to help. I mean, aren't they being duped, I'm getting at? So I don't know. I would like to hope that the governor, lieutenant governor, and uh, the mayor and the U.S. attorney and uh, the, the sheriff and others uh, were just ignorant. But that means they're ignorant to the point of being incompetent. And here's why I say that. And in some cases, I would argue criminally negligent. Mm -hmm. And let me explain why. The, our law specifically says, for instance, for a doctor or a lawyer, if you do something that's unprofessional, you can be cited uh, certainly by you know the, the Bar Association or something for unprofessional conduct. 
if somebody dies as a result of your unprofessional conduct, legally that can be charged criminal negligence. As a doctor, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And we, you know, people actually, I've, as when I was in the FBI, I actually sat in some of those uh, with regards to like uh, pharmaceutical, you know, malpractice okay. and all mm -hmm. these kinds of things and uh, drug abuse and, and a, a doctor acting. Well, if you're the governor of Minnesota and you're creating policies for the state, working with people and they're hostile connections, and yeah. they're jihadis and you don't know that, you don't get to say, well, I just didn't know. You have a professional duty. The, sta the, the oath of office comes with the legal standard to know or do due diligence to yeah. know all enemies. Now, here's, here's where it kind of breaks down even farther. In the case of the sheriff, he not only said, I'm working with, the, with, with this, this particular imam, I'm making policies for the department. And he lists out some of them. He's publicly listed out what he's done. Uh, and then we see that these are, these are jihadis, and that's the problem. Yeah, okay, I'm torn because I wanna to get to more of the story. I have, for our listeners, I made a clip of Sheriff Stanick. He actually testified in a hearing in Washington where they, many people began using the expression instead of talking about islamic aggression or islamization they use cve which is countering violent extremism was trying to pull away or make it disassociate the violence connected with islam from the teachings of islam so cve he gave a testimony but i think i want to skip it because but basically he said in his testimony yeah i'm the sheriff here in hennepin county i'm trying very hard to build a bridge with all these Islamic groups. So he made buddies with Imam Roble. Is that his name? Roble? Yeah, Imam Roble. And he's been telling me, now Imam Roble is telling me, the sheriff, what to do. And so I make policies, plans. I move, I work with the Islamic community, the Somali Islamic community in Minneapolis, following the instructions of this Imam Roble. And so that's what he essentially did. I want to be sure we get to your story. If I play that clip, it's going to be too long, I think. So. Okay. Okay. So I think what, what the next step is, if we look at what happened, when he becomes sheriff in yes, 2007, right. going forward until he just left office in 2018, Hennepin County, which is essentially the Minneapolis area, yep. uh, we see no suicide bombers before a sheriff coming from Minneapolis. Minneapolis, Hennepin County becomes the home of the first American suicide bomber who goes overseas to uh, become a suicide bomber. And over the next 10 years, while he's sheriff from his county, Almost two dozen jihadis and suicide bombers leave Hennepin County to go fight. I would say that is a catastrophic failure on his part. Yes. And for him to actually say, and he did it in open court, that his program was you know, magnificent and worked is disconnected from reality, but it also demonstrates that this is what you get when you work with jihadis. You get a sheriff who's so attached to his jihadi master that he's actually willing to publicly say in the face of all evidence contrary to what he's saying that we have a great successful program. Disregard the two dozen jihadis that came from my county since I've been sheriff. It is truly breathtaking. No one else would count that as a success. I mean, I mean, when you point to that outcome, that you had jihadis in the very region, he says, I'm working, we're establishing great relations because Imam Roble is telling me how to do it. And it was very, I mean, it's, the, the clip is very uh, boastful. That's how I felt about him, just boastful. I, I figured it all out and I'm, I'm doing the greatest thing ever. But anyway, he 
so he's built his, the way to interact with these Somalian immigrants and Muslim immigrants in his area is to work with an imam at the same time the community is sending jihadists over overseas to kill people. Okay, but I wanna move on to, so your trial, so you ran into this sheriff again in Reno and just glossing over the, you, had, you were at some event in Reno, it was a sheriff's presentation. Right. And he, this sheriff, whom you had written about in this article, again, called In This War in Minnesota, the Twin Cities Are Lost. You wrote about him, his record of failure, you run into him in Reno, and in a summary way, what happened? So uh, I had never met him before. We walk in to do our, is the National Sheriff's Conference in Reno, July 2017. We, we walk into the room, or end of June, we walk into the room, and uh, he had just finished a presentation. So I recognized his picture, I introduced myself, and that was the end of it. And he asked, would you, I'd like to speak with you, would you meet with me after? And I said, okay. Seemed friendly. That was the end of it. It seemed, he did not seem friendly, but he, it was just kind of blank. Okay. And so after we're done presenting, uh, we, uh, his guy's waiting for us, says, hey, you still willing to meet the sheriff? We said yes, we walk over there. And uh, as soon as we sit down, I actually asked if we could begin in prayer. And he said no. And he turned his iPad around and said, I want to talk about this. And he had the uh, article pulled up. And he was pretty already pretty angry. And um, he basically said, he, he said, you know, this stuff's all false. Uh, you know, you've, you're saying things that aren't true. And I said, what's not true? And if you can show me what's not true, well, yeah. Can you show me? And there, and he was very upset with a couple things. First, I thought was very odd. He said the picture of him and President uh, Obama had been uh, photoshopped, which is weird because I got it off the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune website, <laughs> and it was yeah. also on the, on the White House website. Uh, but anyway, that notwithstanding, uh, I said, well, you know, what's untrue? And he's like, well, you say, you know, the, the threat exponentially grew when I was, you know, whatever. And uh, the, he the, had no facts to counter. He had right. no facts. He, was he just correct. was angry. And when I made it clear that we were not going to I was not going to retract the article as it stood unless he could show me there were some facts missing uh, that were incorrect or something that was not factual. Uh, and at that point, he began attacking me personally. He attacked my military, or certainly it's the way I took it, my Marine Corps, uh, the fact I was a combat veteran. He attacked my FBI career. And then in the end... Uh, it got a little physical. He he's made some very rude comments. He stood up. I stood up, the, eventually the rest table, and he stepped into me. He chest bumped me. I pushed him back. As soon as I did, he grabbed my tie, and he was literally strangling me. It turned into... A, a brawl and uh, it was broken up and that was the end of it as far as I was concerned it was two guys having a dust-up well he tried to charge me criminally in Reno Nevada which obviously went nowhere uh, because he assaulted me first but there were certainly no facts that I assaulted him and then he sued me civilly and he's been suing me civilly for the last year and a half and that trial just ended two weeks ago here in Dallas it did, and you know what? I wish we had an hour to tell, have you tell listeners a lot of things about the trial. It would cause you deep upset to recognize our judicial system has fallen to the point of how this trial went, but I want to focus on one thing. There was something you told me about the testimony where he was asked, I don't know if it was by your lawyer or his lawyer, essentially, he, the sheriff who initiated the altercation, who didn't like your article pointing out his failure in actually handling the Islamic threat in Minneapolis, but he's asked a question on the stand 
essentially, why did you bring this litigation? What was his answer? So it was his attorney. It was the last question he was asked while he was testifying. Uh, why did you bring this forward? And he said, to silence that man, he pointed to me, and to shut down UTT, understanding the threat. Because he was convinced uh, that we're just, you know, what we're doing is just, you know, wrong, uh, wrong from his perspective. I got to tell you, that is such a great, great way to close this interview. We'll have to do another time with your about your um, the trial. But what he's saying is the same attitude the Southern Poverty Law Center has, the Anti-Defamation League has, is if I don't like what you're saying, you can't say it. He sued you over this you know, dust up between two grown men. He's a lot physically bigger than you. Dust up between two grown men. But he said in the trial, the bottom line was, I want to shut you up. And maybe this is too hard a question to ask you, but what is the mindset in his worldview? It's like he's just embarrassed because all this work, he's suddenly seen all this work he did building this Islamic community relation, made him look foolish because you pointed out, yeah, and all the jihadis are coming out of your district. I mean, or is it just kind of that, I, I can't be wrong at this point? Maybe you didn't have an answer for that, but I, I think it's bizarre why he even brought it. So I do have an answer. In my oh, experience in the last, certainly while I was still in the FBI, I saw this, but uh, you know, over the years, uh, you know, whether it's a three or four star general, a senator, a congressman, a mayor, a police chief, a sheriff, a pastor, these relationships that he, that, and especially this one he formed with Imam Roble and a couple others that he works with, with what I call, you know, suit wearing jihadis. The whole purpose of these jihadi leaders building this relationship with leaders in the community like Sheriff Stanek, once they make that and build that relationship, that individual is going down with the ship. They have married their entire professional reputation to this individual, and they will never break it, and they'll go down, and they'll go down kicking and streaming. We have seen it across the board. Okay, John, we're going to have to have you back another time. I mean, I always say that to you. But again, we'll have to have you back another time. Thank you for taking time, Data, to come in. That's just a, it's just a fabulous window on you recognizing what's happening in Minnesota, you exposing it, and he's kind of epitomizing what the civilizational jihad is all about. Oh, he's a classic example. Yeah, he's an example of someone who's been completely manipulated by a civilization jihad where he thinks he's the good guy as he stands yes. up for Islam. And they said that in court. He's good, I'm evil. That's what they said in open court. That's that's the way it works. And if I could just encourage right people that... Uh, um, want to learn more, understandingthethreat.com is our website. I appreciate you putting all those links on there, but I certainly encourage people to go sign up for our newsletter and uh, you will get not only the articles, but a lot of other information through through what we do. Yeah, I'm going to encourage listeners to, I love their website, understandingthethreat.com. You can learn so much and it's things you learn there that you will not hear in mainstream media, to say the least. John, thank you so much for Thanks coming Thanks very in. much for having thank me, you. Really appreciate it. Okay, we have two more stories I want to try to hit today. I know Matt, the wonderful producer, is now cringing since he sees the time and he thinks I can't talk fast enough, but I can. Uh, I want to turn quickly to just another story related to this subject of Islamization in America. There is an organization, and it's called, the acronym they managed to create is MECCA, and so M-E-C-C-A. It is the Muslim Educational Cultural Center of America. It's based in Chicago, so it's MECCA in Chicago, and it 
touts itself as an organization trying to build bridges of understanding, support Muslims in America, help everyone understand each other, you know, all these lovely sounding thoughts. Now that you know a little more from listening to our interview with John Guandolo about what exactly is Islamic doctrine, that the mission of Islam itself in the founding documents, in the founding of the founder itself, Muhammad, is to spread Islam and the law of Allah, which is Sharia, Allah's law, all over the world by force, duplicity, whatever it takes. So this organization, Mecca, trying to hold itself out as moderate, has managed, because it has such a happy-sounding description of its mission, has managed to get elected officials to show up and talk and cheer them on. Just a few of the players involved with them, we have September 20th, they hosted Imam Zaid Shakir, who delivered the Friday sermon. Uh, his writings and speech, he's prone to conspiracy theories, extremism. In 2001, Shakir argued that American Muslim community must consider political options, including guerrilla war. This is an American imam they're letting speak. He urged guerrilla war in 2001. He claimed the U.S. inflicted terrorism on the world, suggested it would be acceptable for Muslims to attack U.S. military forces. That's their idea of a peaceful guy. Uh, they have another one, September 29th, at the Mecca ho uh, Center, hosted Linda Sarsouri. We've talked about her many times on the show. She actually got fired from the women's movement. Radical anti-Semitic Muslim woman hates Jews, hates Israel, she, her ex positions and words are so extreme, even the women's movement couldn't stand her. They kicked her out. She has also a long-standing relationship with Islamic leader, um, the Islam leader, Louis Farrakhan. Um, she supported uh, Razmia Oda, a Palestinian terrorist, deported from the U.S. for lying about his previous terror convictions. Bunch of other things about her. One more person I'll mention. In the opening ceremony of this mega mosque, their term mega mosque, Sheikh Kifa Mustafa, Imam of the Orland Park Prayer Center, he appeared cutting the ribbon with Imam Hassan Alai. This guy, Mustafa, history of supporting violent anti Semitism, served as an employee of the Holy Land Foundation here in Texas, convicted of providing material support to Hamas, a terror organization. He serves with them. It's okay with these this Mecca group to have him as part of their organization. I could go on and on and on, but I'm almost out of time. I don't want Matt to quit his job over there. Um, so that is really to wrap it up. If you think this is an isolated thing that happened uh, with the sheriff in Minneapolis, or you think the stories you hear are isolated, it's all connected. It's all connected by the foundational doctrines of Islam. That is the danger we face. This is what Brigitte Gabrielle wanted to talk about at her, her meeting in Florida, which has been shut down, uh, but you know they're fighting it. Maybe they're trying to get it back on the counter. One last quick thing why so many Americans deeply and truly appreciated the election of President Trump was that he spoke during his campaign about the idea we're going to stop bringing Islamic terrorists to this country. We're going to adjust our visa policies, our immigration refugee policies, to protect American citizens. Trump took it one step further. His uh, administration, uh, the head of the U.S. Department of Education, announced that they are actually, they gave notice to the Duke University, Duke UNC Consortium for Middle East Studies, which just last year got $235,000 in your tax dollars, federal government tax dollars going to these two universities, UNC and Duke, for their consortium for Middle East studies. And the reason that Trump announced that they're going to stop funding it unless they shape up is that the organization 
claimed it was all about helping train people to go into foreign service and share understanding in foreign languages. The reality is, is Islamic indoctrination, uh, mockery and dismissal of the seriousness of Christianity and its place and purpose in the world, mockery of, of Judaism and its place in the world. The short story was it was essentially advocacy for Islamic indoctrination. And these kind of things, you know, recently we talked about in the show, we had uh, one senator spoke up in Washington and said, why do we have Confucius centers on the uh, funded on these U.S. campuses, you know, the, the public universities and the Confucius centers are supposed to be about sharing Chinese language and cultural ex, you know, exchange. And they're really just about pushing communism. Same things happen with respect to Islam, Islamic centers in major universities around this country including public universities, spreading Islamic indoctrination, engaged in the, what we were just talking about, civilizational jihad under the banner of increasing understanding, sharing information. Same thing happened too. Um, there was a recent announcement about, um, in fact, the expression used in the big announcement was that in the K through 12 schools in our country, we have the term was whitewashing Islamism. It was there's teaching in the American public schools, K through 12 schools about Islam that has much more to do with not mentioning anything about Islam's 1400 plus year history of brutal conquest, murder of millions of people to, so that they could engage in the forced spread of Islam, the jihad that the, that the Quran requires, that's not mentioned. In fact, if anything is mentioned in these programs, it was more about criticizing Christian and American conduct. Islam held up to the standard of the, that can't be criticized and Christianity quite regularly bashed. And people are finally saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, we gotta, we gotta reinsert truth around here. This is just a little bit crazy. So I'll tell you, if you go back to the beginning of the show today and our little conversation about what happened at Mar-a-Lago in Florida and how you have two actual serious conservative leaders banned from their program they plan to give relating to ACT, which is you know, the organization to awaken people to speak up and act up to stand up against Islamization in America and Michelle Malkin, that's Brigitte Gabriel, Michelle Malkin, there talk about who's the big money behind the border problem. And is the American left, the silencers, the enforcers of silence that are saying they shouldn't be allowed to speak. If you think that that is just one little incident of literally thousands and thousands and thousands that happen all across this country all, to, all, all day long. And if you don't start speaking up, you will lose your right to speak. And now we'll turn in the remaining uh, one minute, Matt the Wonderful is gonna help me out here with uh, why these stories matter to you. And this is for today, why these stories matter to you. The totalitarian cancel culture, a national security conference to address the Islamic threat and border security featuring American patriots Brigitte Gabriel and Michelle Malkin canceled due to hater tags applied by intolerant Southern Poverty Law Center and the misguided ADL and this at Mar-a-Lago. This is totalitarianism in America, the silencing of all who will not bow to leftism. The intentions of those at the top of the leftist cabal are that the left will control what Americans hear and think. Private companies default to surrender to the left as the path of least resistance. That's what Mar-a-Lago did. Patriots must make surrender to the left the worst possible choice, speak up. American free speech, which protects America's freedom, is being trampled. 
on John Guandolo. Love having him on the show, UTT founder. Check out his website, understandingthethreat.com. Learn what they're actually teaching. Don't Google what is that group because the haters will tell you something wrong. Go to their website and read it. Watch the video, Continuum of Jihad, on YouTube. I opening. Learn the history of aggression in the name of Islam. This issue is not about individual Muslims. It's about Islamic doctrine that you can read and understand yourself. This is being taught and promulgated in more than 3,000 mosques all over America and in Islamic centers and schools. Islamic doctrine and the American Bill of Rights cannot be reconciled. On the Mecca of Chicago, Again, the issue is not about individual Muslims, it's about Islamic doctrine. The Muslim Educational Culture Center of America, Mecca, in the heartland middle of America, Chicago, hosts terror-related Islamic extremists and anti-Semitic speakers. Again, Islamic doctrine cannot be reconciled with the American Bill of Rights. This fundamental conflict, conflict cannot be wished or shouted or scoffed or moderated away. And finally, campus-based Islamic indoctrination, indoctrination must stop. Fair-minded, equal time, comparative religion studies are one thing. Islamic indoctrination is quite another. The Trump administration has ordered Duke and UNC to stop Islamic indoctrination. But will they? K-12 course curricula in some parts of the country. Is it information or is it indoctrination? Judaism and Christianity are not afforded educational favoritism in the U.S. Why should the treatment of Islam be different? Preserving America's Judeo-Christian heritage and character requires speaking up for it. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please email me if you'd like to ask questions or suggest topics. AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. Tune in every day. Comment if you would, please. I'd love to hear your comments on Facebook. Like the Facebook page. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter. And thank you for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Yeah.